Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello, welcome back to Oz Business Radio's only live streaming business and markets channel. Great to have your company as we kick off the afternoon, Eastern Daylight Time with the call. It's a blockbuster edition of the call. <laughs> Two hours, uh, Ron, today because we had that technical glitch yesterday. And uh, so we've come up with a double episode. It feels like, I feel like an FM radio station, you know, back to back ACDC. Well, this is back to back the call. We've got so much of the call that it just isn't enough, let me tell you today. And uh, we're going to kick it off with um, a, real, a, a special edition of the call today, uh, pushed politely by, our, well, one of our guests and and strongly supported by another regular here of the call to take a look at ETFs because we get so much inquiry about ETFs on the um, on the Ausbiz preference list. You know, if you watch Ausbiz through your through your app and you put in the preferences that you want to follow, ETFs. Something like the, the third most popular thing that uh, viewers of Ausbiz look at. So Andrew Whelan from uh, D, DP Advisory, who's our, our friendly Queenslander, who we love, our number one Queenslander, said, "Koshi, I like ETFs too. I put my clients into it. Why don't we do a special on it?" And Adam Dawes sort of got his back as well from Shore and Partners, <laughs> and Adam goes, "Bloody good idea, Andrew." So that's what we're doing. I am. I am here at your command, you two. So, Andrew, how are you, sir? You well? G'day, Koshi. G'day, Adam. And look, thanks, Koshi, very much for doing this um, because you're quite right. You know, probably six, eight weeks ago, I put it out there. Yep. And you were you were really welcoming and saying this is a great idea because, as you just said, obviously the uh, Ausbiz community want it. And certainly from yep. my side of the desk, I see lots of questions about it. I and mean, as you said, I'm an advocate of them, but even for just people ringing up and asking. It certainly is becoming yeah. a, a much bigger thing. Okay. And we'll talk about those statistics all in right. a moment. Let, let's put all ETFs in perspective, though. You've got, you've got managed funds, uh, unlisted managed funds you can invest in. You've got listed investment companies that you can invest in. Why an ETF? Why an exchange-traded fund? What's the benefit of them? Well, I guess if we sort of break it broadly, Koshi, initially into what we call active versus passive. And Adam, jump in here at any stage if you think I need some counselling. Um, so really, if we're talking about passive, what we're really saying is that we can't beat markets. And in a minute, we'll talk about some interesting t- statistics to that point of view. I'm just trying to buy a basket of shares that basically tracks a market or tracks an index. And that's really one type of ETF. The other type of ETF and a number of the questions from the viewers today more around active ETFs. I'm trying to take a particular view. I like a particular thematic. I like a particular market. So as a consequence, really, when you're talking about some of those ones we just spoke about, listed investment companies and managed funds in particular, they generally tend to be more on the active space. They're trying to 
play a market, they're trying to beat a market, whereas certainly a number of the ETFs in Australia, initially anyway, were literally trying to track a market. So the first one that listed here in Australia was STW, which literally tracks the ASX S&P 200 point for point, and that was October 2001 from memory. And they've got about $3.7, $3.8 billion. So if you look at the top 200 and just say, I don't know which one to buy, I just want to do what the market does, something like STW, or there's now others like IOZ, or BetaShares have a somewhat similar product with A200, that's your go-to. But for a number of people in the Ausbiz community, they're going, well, that's all well and good, but I also want something that's got a bit of zing about it. You know, what's a thematic, what's a... What's a mega trend, if I can use that term? You know, like I think robotics is a thing, or I think cybersecurity is a thing, yeah. or I, whatever it yeah. is. And so you can use those in your portfolio too. All right. Mm. Adam, how do you use them yeah. in a client's portfolio? Yeah. So there's a couple of ways, and, and, and certainly looking at clients' portfolios, we look at strategic asset allocation. And with that strategic asset allocation, many, many years ago, we were only able to do the Australian equity component of it. But now with the ETFs and moving through into those ETFs, we're now able to use that asset allocation for international, for property, for fixed income, domestic as well as global and cash. So now I'm Mm -hmm. able then to put an entire portfolio together for a client. Instead of just looking at 30% potentially of their Aussie equity component, I can now look at 95 to 100% of a client's portfolio and I can use ETFs as a way to get access to right. international stocks and all these other So do they invest in specific stocks? The ETFs? Yeah. Yes, right. yes they do. So, we're, and, and to Andrew's point, uh, a passive ETF is an index. So the ASX 200. It'll invest the same proportion in Correct. its ETF yes. of those 200 stocks of those 200 at the, stocks. the benchmark. Yeah. And then the active ones will put a, an overlay over the top of that, either where technology or um, no banks or a right. world ETF, but no US. Right. So they'll have an active bent. Because there are thousands of them now, aren't there? In, in the US, uh, there is. Uh, it's massive in the US. And here in Australia, we are now, last year, we took some ETFs off because they weren't um, generating enough revenue or enough funds under management. So right. yeah, there's more and more these days. Okay, um, Andrew, you talk about core versus satellite. Um, investing with ETFs. What does that mean? So so again, in our world, and and Adam summed it up really well around that strategic asset allocation piece where you've got that whole gamut that you're investing across. Uh, So I would call, if we're talking about that side, I'd actually call that core. So you've got all those different asset classes and you're saying, and again, you know, it's general advice what we're talking about here, but let's pick on Adam because it's easy to do. Let's say Adam is a growth investor. So if Adam was a growth investor, 70% of his investments would be in growth, things like Australian shares, international shares, uh, infrastructure and property, and 30% would be involved in cash and bonds and fixed interest. So to Adam's point, you'd have your range of ETFs. In our model, we've got 13. 13 ETFs do that job. That's your core. But then on the other side, if you think of it like a barbell, you might say, as I just said before, you know, we here think that cybersecurity is a thing. We think that uh, Asian technology companies are a thing. We think that ESG-style investing is a thing. You know, there might be five or six particular trends or thematics that you're trying to get exposure to. So at the other end of the barbell, you have these satellite type of investments. So they're not core. They might become core over time, but they sort of start off more just sort of saying, well, I think everyone working from home, people are trying to hack networks. I need an ETF that plays that space. 
uh, or robotics and AI, I think automation is going to be a thing. And so you have at either end of the barbell, the core, that doesn't change a great deal. And then over here, you've got the satellites or the thematics right. and trying to play uh, a particular theme. And the way that we work it is generally two thirds core, one third thematic. Everybody's different, but generally as a starting right. point, that's how we started. Okay. We're going to get to 10 ETFs that you want us to have a look at very shortly, but just want to set the picture of what ETFs are all, all about. So uh, hang in there. For a couple of minutes, we'll start going through the list of 10 that we, uh, we want the guys to give a view on that have been sent in by you. Um, Adam, would, a, would you... An overall thing for a retail investor yeah. is... You have your ETFs as a core, if you like, yep. and you build individual stocks on that, or yep. you use ETFs for, you know, you think American technology is great, but yep. I don't know whether to choose Alphabet or Apple or whatever, so you just do an ETF for that, and then you have individual stocks here. Absolutely. Or, or would you put... You could do both. Right. You could okay. do both. I mean, there's no set standard as to what you would do inside of a portfolio. Right. The, the main way that we use uh, ETFs is that obviously you've got a nice breadth of stocks, but it also comes on to your balance that you're willing to invest. Right. Because if you've got, let's say, $20,000 to invest, you're better to buy an ETF because it's going to give you the diversification. It's going to give you more stocks in the portfolio. And they have low fees too, don't they? And that's the key, isn't it? Because managed funds traditionally are charging one and a half, one percent and especially an international managed fund, plus then performance fees that go on top of that. Yeah. All of a sudden, you're really looking at a, at a portfolio that's going to cost a lot. ETFs now are very, very cheap, and there has been a bit of a race to the bottom from a lot of providers because they've been basically saying, okay, we're going to reduce. So most ETFs are around about 50 basis points, but there are ones, the Vanguards and the iShares ones and even the BetaShares ones, they're getting down to 20 basis points. Even, well, even 2 percent Correct. fee, wow. And, and, and you pay that when you buy it on the spread. Yep. So okay. you don't really see that fee but it's part of that spread that's in the, in the market when you, when you buy it. Okay, so 216 ETFs operating here in Australia, but they're big at $71 billion under investment in ETFs, which is huge. These are, in case you're thinking, gee, gosh, you know all that, Andrew sent me through all these figures. <laughs> uh, Vanguard's the biggest, iShares next with 16 billion, uh, beta shares at $12 billion, Vanguard 21 billion under investment. Um, but a lot of people would be thinking, Andrew, um, active managers don't mind paying the extra fee for an active manager if I get the return and it outperforms. So have there, has there been any sort of research done on do active managers actually deliver? Koshi, that's a really interesting question. Um, so the, Shut the, up. <laughs> there's a uh, there's a group uh, that I'm sure most people have heard of called uh, Standard and Poor's S and P. Uh, they the index provider here in Australia, the ASX S and P 200, and they have a report that comes out semi annually called the Speeder Report. And you can do a Google on that, or I can, or Adam could send that to you. But basically, what it talks about is the performance of actively managed funds relative to the index. And I mean, we could spend an hour on this, we're not. I'm just trying to try make it pretty simple. What it basically found is that last year, as in 2 June or 2.30 uh, June, so in other words, encapsulating all that noise that we just went through in February, March, around 65% of active managers failed to beat the index. Wow. So in other words, only 35% beat the index. But that's one year, Koshi, and again, an unusual year. So let's maybe 
broaden that lens, let's look a bit further out, you know, 10 years. I think that's probably a fair yeah. presumption. If we look at that sort of lens, uh, then around 80% of active managers failed to meet uh, the benchmark. So, and the average underperformance is around that one, one and a half percent. So in essence, the fee that you're paying. Um, it becomes even more stark though, Koshi, when you then look at uh, overseas investing, where last year, 71% of overseas active managers failed. And for that 10 year period, you're now into the 90% failure rate. So to Adam's point, you know, like you're paying these fees, the one, one and a half percent plus your performance fee, if you're not even meeting the benchmark, never mind beating it, then you think to yourself, you know, there's great active managers out there. I mean, here in Australia, you can think of a few, you know, people like Phil King, uh, Hamish Douglas. You know, we're not suggesting for a moment that active managers are bad. There's great active stockbrokers. Yeah. But in the context of that portfolio construction piece, really what it says to us is having a complete active bias you're not getting that performance based on the, you know, 15, okay. 20 years worth of data in that Spiva report. You need a blend. Mm. All right. Let's start working through some of the ETFs that you've sent in now. And we can develop the nuances through it because I was going to ask us, you know, are they all the same? If sort of there's somebody in cybersecurity and there are five of them, do they invest in all the same stocks? They don't. So... It's what to look for in an ETF is important. And, and let's go look at some individual ones now and, uh, and really bring that out. Um, Nelly wants a view, Adam, on uh, Morningstar's Global <laughs> Technology ETF. Yeah. So Morningstar, uh, obviously a research house, but also put out some ETFs as well. And, yep. and this one's quite an interesting one. So we'll do a bit of the same sort of thing. We can talk about the management expense ratio. We can talk yep. about what they invest in. And then there's a couple of other things and nuances, uh, whether they're domiciled here in Australia right. or overseas, do you need a WA Ben form? These kinds of things ah. all should play into your, decision. uh, your decisions going right. forward. So this one has got a lower MER of sort of 0.45 uh, basis points or, or sort of close to half a percent. Um, it holds around about 36 ETFs in the portfolio. But it is focused... Hang on, so this is an ETF that invests in other ETFs? No, 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 sorry. Um, sorry, the holdings in the ETF, so 36 stocks. All ah, right, stocks, right. In the ETF. ETF, right. Yep. 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 Um, uh, they um, rebalance quarterly and it is Australian domicile, so you right. don't need to worry about that kind of stuff. But they, they basically uh, invest in technology exposure through that. And then Morningstar looks at the moat. Now, the moat is something that we've, we know a fair bit about, but it's the ring around companies so they can't be replicated. Right. And so they use that so as a... So the uniqueness of what they've got. Correct. And right. so that, they use that as a way to then pick their ETFs inside of that. And some of the ETFs that are in there, um, um, you know, Microsoft, Adobe, Salesforce, those kinds of things. So right. more, more the international side of things. But it is uh, an interesting ETF. It had a very good performance over the last coming couple of months. But as with all tech stocks, a little bit of a fall in the market uh, on the ETF at the moment. Um, and it does benchmark against an index and we need to be aware of that benchmarking that it comes through. And then it obviously should return over time uh, uh, doing better. I like this one. Um, we also like Robo as another one, which is another uh, ETF right. that is more in the robotics and AI side of right. things. Yep. But this one is a good sort of safe one to get that technology exposure for the likes of those names of Adobe, okay. Microsoft, Intel, those kinds of things. All right. Andrew, what do you think of the Morningstar Global Technology ETF? 
Yeah, look, I don't mind it, Koshi, and you're right. If we, if we just briefly touch on MER, that should be one of the first things that you're looking at. What's that management expense ratio? Um, in our model portfolio, the average MER is around 0.25, 0.26, because, again, because there's quite a few core, and as Adam says, they're quite low, and then there's a couple that's a bit higher. So, you know, anything under that half a percent, unless it's doing something special, and we'll talk about some of that with some of these other ones in a sec, um, they've got about $193 million funds under management. So to Adam's point earlier, you want to see a bit of money in there because if they don't get any money in there, uh, ETF mm -hmm. securities in this particular instance aren't making any money and they'll pull it. So that's not the case here. And the other thing to bear in mind is that this is an active one. So it's rules based. It's um, And it's also what we call equal weight. So they've got around between 20, and I think in this particular case, 25 companies and around 4% in each. So it's sort of, if you have one sort of takes off on you, then it's not going to sort of um, be as volatile. Whereas if, you know, they pick the right one and it takes off, well, you're going to have a great result. And if they pick the wrong one and it drops, then you're going to have more pain. So it's less volatile. Uh, I, I, I don't mind it. I guess the only thing that sort of concerns me a little bit is the fact that there's a, a human overlay. In other words, there's the Morningstar analysts that then have their input as well. I much prefer ones that just sort of use rules and track an index, and it is what it is. But we don't mind. It's up 24% per annum over the last three years. And a good pigeon pair for this one would be that Betashare's Asian technology fund, Asia, which, as the name suggests, focuses just on Asian companies in the technology space, whereas this one's about 78% US. So you could have a barbell from a technology point of view, but, yep, don't mind this. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, Simon wants a view on uh, Andron the Vanek Vectors Morningstar Wide Moat ETF AUD. That's a mouthful. What the hell? <laughs> Obviously, they don't have many marketing people in these um, or, or brand people working for these ETF managers. What oh, the hell is that one about? Brand. Actually, they've got plenty of brand people in there. They've got to hit all the keywords. They've got to hit Morningstar. They've got to hit Moat. You know, like they're, they're ticking all the boxes. Same methodology as Adam says, wide Moat, difficult to replicate business. Uh, but it's a more broader spectrum. It's not just focused on technology. Uh, its biggest holdings are IT at 22%, healthcare at about 20%, and financials at 16%. It's got companies like Salesforce, Berkshire Hathaway. So if you're a Warren Buffett fan, this is a way to get exposure. Yeah. Uh, Pfizer. Over the last five years, it's returned about 15% per annum. Um, MER, 0.49, and a bit, again, pretty healthy farm at about 167 million. Probably the only thing that I'd be mindful of is it's 99% US, as the name suggests. So again, if you're trying to get some broader diversification and some of the ETFs we'll talk about in a minute, you know, I've got exposure to places like Switzerland and Japan and so forth. If you're looking for that broader diversification, maybe this isn't for you, but certainly 15% per annum over five years. The rule of 72, Koshi. Yep. Mm. Yeah, yep. You know, it's done pretty well. Yep. Okay. Adam? Yeah, look, it's a good one as well. I mean, the, the, the idea of these things is that if you went out and tried to replicate this uh, fund, ETF, yep. it would cost you a lot of money to do it. Plus, then you'd be up all night because you'd be watching the US market moving up and down as right. well. Yeah. So this is a really good idea for that because, you know, their top 10 holdings are Nike, Kellogg's, um, Wells Fargo, Bristol Myers, so Intel. Mm. So, you know, it, it's a good broad-based business with good moats. So in other words, that defensiveness around it. But there's also something that you need to be really aware of when you're trading ETFs is that the US market's closed. 
right now. Now, if you're going to buy an ETF now that's investing in the US market, you're, you're basically investing in the futures market to start with, right. okay? So you really should be careful when you're investing in these ETFs to know when the indexes or the, the, the stock market is open to then get an idea. So basically, if you're investing at 10 o'clock when we open today, US is shut and it's trading after hours. When I do a lot of my uh, ETFs for internationals, I'll buy them in the afternoon because I'll have a better idea of where the Dow, the S&P, where it will open. Because the market maker, and there's always a market maker, and that's the benefit of an ETF, Albeit there will be there will be product or, or sorry a price for you to get in and out. You might not like the price, but there will be prices. And through the global financial crisis, we had the issue of managed funds freezing up. Yep. Basically, you couldn't get out. Yep. Okay, this is where you can actually get in and out for so a price. Liquid. So they're liquid, very very liquid. And right. There's always a market maker on the bid and the offer, always doing that. But mm. with these international ones, you've got to be a little bit careful because. The Dow futures aren't really representing what the futures will or the, the, the index will be doing until later on in the afternoon. Right. So just a couple right. of things. That's why you talk to the professionals like yep. Andrew uh, about this is because that's how you're going to get the better price right. for your ETF. So do time. they value them constantly? Yes. Right. Yes. Okay. So it's valued while the market's open. While the market's open and while the, the, while the market's closed. Right. Because then you, you've got to overlay currency. You've got to overlay all these other things because some are hedged, some are unhedged. Yep. And you've got to overlay all of this to then to potentially pick a price to go in at. Right. And sometimes you should always trade with the market makers because they're the ones that are paying the, they're the, paying the true price. Yep. And then there's individuals in there creating their own market as well. Right. So it is actually quite um, complex yeah. as to when and the right price to buy an ETF. Okay, all right, good tip. Sorry to muddy uh, for that mouthful, the Vectors Body Star Wide Mode ETF AUD uh, from Simon, a yes from both of you on that. Yeah, it's a good um, one. It's already in the calls portfolio, so it stays there. Um, Andrew James wants a view on the iShares Global Consumer Staples ETF. Yep, so a lot of the ones that we've just been talking about are active. This one's a passive one. It's following, mm. as the name suggests, the Global Staples index and I think this one is by S&P so it covers things like food tobacco and other household items and it's got companies in there like Procter & Gamble Nestle uh, Costco PepsiCo Unilever so arguably those sort of companies whereby regardless of what's going on people are going to con continue to consume and use their products uh, it's returned about 12% per annum over the last 10 years, which is a pretty consistent rate of return over such a long period of time. The MER is not too bad. That's about 0.47. And it's really diversified. You know, it's got 53% in the US, 10% in the UK, and it also has exposure to Europe and Japan. So, so to my point before around, you know, that global spread rather than having a particular view on a, right. on a country as such. So if you're looking for a more defensive bent, something like this might be what you have. It's certainly not in our portfolios, but again, it's not saying it's terrible. It's really just from our perspective, oh. it's probably a bit That's too... That's a horrible five-year chart, though. Yeah. I'm not sure what happened there. I'll have to look at that. So, um, yeah, certainly the data that I saw, 10-year return, 12% per annum. So mm. obviously something's happened in that short period of time, but if you had a longer data chart, you'd see it... Right, doing okay. that. So it's okay, but probably not one for us, given the right. way that we construct our portfolios. Yep. 
Adam? Yeah, look, I, I like this one due to the fact, um, look, we, we know um, iShares are certainly a, a very good uh, fund manager. So yeah. BlackRock, really good fund managers and global fund managers as well. This one gives you access to the US market, predominantly the US, and Andrew said there's a, some other ones there. But we know that the, the US consumer is the biggest consumer in the world. These guys are the ones that, that everything, and you know, their top 10 holdings, Procter & Gamble, Coca-Cola, PepsiCo, Walmart, Philip Morris, that's tobacco, so you've got to have a look in there. Costco, those kinds of things as well. Diego, so that's a, um, uh, an alcohol brand. Yep. But it is very much that consumer focus. And you, know, you, you try and get some of these sort of flavors in your portfolio. I like that global side of things. Um, the S&P Global, uh, I think it's a good one. Um, has traded a little bit difficultly now and sort of moving sideways, but that's predominantly because the consumer probably hasn't been spending yeah. as much potentially over the last sort of because of the COVID, COVID thing, March and, and yeah. things like that. So it will take time to get back up and running again, but we know that US consumer is the biggest one in the yeah. world. And once they get firing again, uh, it should be a good one. So I, I like this one. It's a good little, okay. good little. So you'd be buying it now? Yeah, yeah, holding absolutely. Yeah, okay. no, happy. All right. Can, um, and I suppose, again, particularly with the active ETFs, mm. just like we look at um, at Perpetual, um, yep. just as we, we look at Fidelity, it is down to the manager, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Always. Absolutely. Uh, uh, the manager, the index, and then how much you're really paying for the MER. Right. Because that obviously fees detract from performance, so yeah. you just got to be careful. And I think this, uh, that IXI is around 0.47% on MER. So it's, it's in the ballpark of that international one. And again, if you're trying to replicate that, it's, it's pretty much impossible. Right. So you, yeah, okay. you're getting good diversification. All right. Uh, Andrew Rahul wants a view. Now, this came up, I think, on a call a couple of weeks ago when it was yeah. first launched. Did you bring I, it up? I think I'll take some blame. Yeah, yeah. blame. Adam, I'll take credit. Well, kick it off with you then. Adam. Well, Andrew better but, agree with me yeah, on this no, one. No, say, that's yeah. why we'll start with you and leave you <laughs> hanging to see if Andrew agrees with you. The, and, and what I'm interested me in this is it's the Vanek Vectors Video Gaming and Esports ETF. Now, Correct. That's a video gaming and esports, the theme of it, particularly if you've got any young adult children or teenage children, you know, yeah. it's taking over the world at the moment. Yeah. Um, this is an ETF that invests in those sorts of businesses where so it's their wheelhouse. That's right. So the criteria is that over 50% of their revenue must come from gaming. Right. Okay. Of the individual companies. Of the individual in. companies, right. right? So that that's that's the key thing that you need to look at um, what, what they invest in. Now, some of the, the stocks in there, uh, Tencent has over 50% of its revenue coming from gaming. Now, that, wow. that's something that I, I wasn't aware no, of. No, I never knew that. And this is the kind of thing. But let's just take a step back on the actual size of what gamers uh, and, and what that is. Now, Netflix have got uh, uh, 0.19 billion subscribers. Yeah. Apple's got 1.5 billion subscribers. Facebook have got 2.5 billion subscribers. There are 2.7 billion gamers in the world. Now, how do they rate that? That means somebody plays a game once a week. Right. Okay, right. so whether that's on your mobile device, whether that's on Xbox, yep. PlayStation, all of those kinds of things. Yeah. Now, Microsoft doesn't sit inside of this Vanek right. eSports because it's less than 50% of its revenue. Okay. But Xbox, we just saw the new Xbox coming out and Microsoft coming out reporting last night said that Xbox was one of their largest drivers of growth going forward. Hmm. So 
it might then automatically start to get in there because right. of the way uh, uh, Xbox they're, is running. And the way their business is changing. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And so from that, uh, we expect revenue from the gaming side of things to grow by an annual rate of sort of 12% per annum over the next three to five years. Right. So that's a fantastic growth rate wow. going forward. Yep. So the revenue is in there, the, the numbers of uh, uh, gamers are in there, and I think this ESPO is a, certainly a buy. I've got some in my portfolio, I've got some in clients' portfolios. We really like it. Asia is predicted to be one of their largest growth markets around about $78 billion, accounting for 49% of global market wow. growth wow. just in Asia. US is second, and then Middle East and Africa catching up really, really quickly okay. on that one as well. All right. um, Andrew, what do you think of the, uh, the Vectors video gaming and esports ETF? Because even though, and this backs up what you've both been saying, but I think, God, there's, these companies must be making a mint out of this era. But who do I know to invest in? And certainly mm. here in Australia, there's really no one to invest in, in this right. area and get diversity. So this gives you exposure. Yeah, I mean, Henry Jennings is in his newsletter has picked a couple of sort of smaller cap uh, ones that are doing quite well. Um, so, yeah. so certainly um, EM1 in particular, and I think ESH, I think as well. Yeah. But um, it really is, hats off to Henry, but it really is sort of small end of town with due respect. That's his speciality, you know, for, for a number of clients, they're not really comfortable playing in that small cap space. They want the bigger names. Yeah. They want the NVIDIAs, they want the Tencents, they want the Nintendos. And this index, which has been trading in the US, there's an ETF in the US that this one is replicating the US ETF. It's been going five odd years, and sorry, it's going, been going two odd years, but the index itself has um, been going for five years and it's returned 38% per annum over the last five years. Wow. And again, it's really diversified, 33% US, um, 23% in Japan, 18% in China. Um, very, very, very relaxed with this. Again, one that similar to Adam, I've got this in my own portfolio. Uh, in that satellite space we were talking about before, it's one of my yep. satellites. Very bullish on this one. Okay, all right. Uh, there Get you go, it. Rahul. Thanks for bringing it up. Um, Andrew, Jeff wants a view on the... Uh, Adam's smiling because got a thumbs up from Andrew. Phew. Let's try the dice there. Uh, if Andrew no doesn't collusion. agree, he usually has a big go at Adam. So it was very good then. Um, Jeff wants a view, Andrew, on the uh, beta shares, uh, global robotics and artificial intelligence ETF. Yeah, um, Adam was talking before about Robo, which is probably the, the main competitor to this product. And there's certainly a lot to like about Robo. In particular, it's 5G exposure. I think Adam's about 5 10% uh, of the portfolio is 5G. So uh, certainly, you know, that Robo is another one you can think about. But again, coming back to sort of the mega trend for a moment, what are some of the things over the next five, 10 years that are really going to drive the economy along? I've got a little nine-year-old or eight-year-old uh, daughter and you know, I would have thought that perhaps she might have had a job at Woolies or Coles on a Thursday night and a Saturday morning when she was 14. I think those days, by the time she gets there, they'll be gone. It'll all be sort of self-serve checkouts and or like um, Amazon where you just push your trolley through and it has little cameras watching you and all that sort of stuff. The, the way that automation is going and AI is going, we certainly believe our clients need exposure to that. There's very few Australian companies that can do it. So again, this ETF gives us that exposure. Um, it's got about $70 million funds under management. The MER is about 
the index itself is up about, sorry, it's up about 32% for the last 12 months and the index is up about 20% per annum for the last five years. It's about 43% in the in Japan, which is quite unusual. A lot of the other ones we've just been talking about, heavy US buy. So this is about 43% Japan, about 34% in the US and about 13% in Switzerland. So there you go, Switzerland's a bit of a, an expert relating to robots and drones and in, industrial robots. Um, semiconductors are in there as well. It's got some healthcare equipment. So it's certainly got an amalgam of things. So yeah, again, one of my favorite ETFs, not my favorite, but certainly one of my favorites. Okay, all right. Yeah. Adam? Yeah, I, I like it as well. One of the stocks or one of the positions they've got in there is, is a really interesting position. And, and I've been look, doing a little bit of work on this outside of, of the sort of ETF is that Intuitive Surgical Incorporated. So this is actually oh. robots doing surgery on people. So Whoa. very much prone, doctors get tired, they're doing eight hour surgery, you know, mistakes get made, <laughs> robots don't, right? Yeah, and yeah. So, and, and, and doctors for, are great, we're saying, but there's the old <laughs> adage, don't be late in the day on the list, always <laughs> be early on the list. <laughs> right. That's right. So that, that, that kind of thing I really yeah, like, that's and that's about 6.5% of the portfolio. So it actually weighs up oh. quite well. I, that, for that one, it really excites me. For the rest of it, I'm not so sure about um, I really like Robo as as a, as a uh, an ETF. Right. It's got that more Japanese exposure to it, and so I think that you know the Japanese are very very good at robotic technology, right. and I think that's probably where the future of AI and those kinds of things are going <coughs> to go. So um, for me, it, it, I like it. I like some of the stocks in there. You know, it's got Nvidia in there and other things as well, Mitsubishi. Um, right. But yeah, I, I think Robo for me is, right. is, is so a not better this play. one. Robo yeah. is better. Yeah, I think it's a better right. play. More, more, more defined. Because that, that's that's the thing. If they've got one stock you love enough, yes. But some dodgy ones in there or ones you don't like, that will drag water down the performance of the one you like. Potentially, potentially, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and you know, it also comes down to, you know, they're all trying to have a point of differentiation because yep. pretty much they're sort of both playing in the same field as such, you know, robotics, those kind of things. And, and beta shares have probably got the most product out there. You right. know, they're probably the, the, the ones that are sort of the, got the most product. Vanguard's got you know, the more index orientated passive side of things and beta shares the more sort of active guys. Um, and so the, the, you just got to um, have an understanding of it and sort of see how it trades. And sometimes, yeah, the, the other those stocks could drag down some of the performance. So you really should be doing your homework versus mm. just reading the title and saying, yep. yeah, that's what I want. Yeah. You should really be looking under the cover. And you can go onto any one of their websites, click on the actual ETF and it will download a fact sheet for you. Oh. That fact sheet will show you the top 10 holdings, the mm. countries, uh, everything about it. So, and then you can even get sort of live prices of what is called the NAV, which is the net asset value of oh. what the ETF should be trading on on a day-by-day -day basis. Right. You shouldn't be paying more than what the NAV price is. Right. Again, okay. we're getting a little bit more technical yeah, here, yeah. but yeah, yeah. They're, they're the kind of things that will save mm. you some money. Because they, they monitor the portfolio constantly. 100%. What, what's 100%. in there? Can I, um, can I just jump yeah, in there Andrew? too, Koshi? Um, and I think Adam has said a really, really important thing there, whereby these products are so transparent. So transparent. Like, can you imagine going on to pick your fund manager, active fund manager of choice, and logging onto their website and saying, what's your top 10 holdings yep. today? They're not gonna do that. That's, no. their, that's their secret source, that's their IP. That's why you're paying that 1% for that amazing outperformance that we spoke about before. <laughs> um, 
Whereas these guys and girls, they're saying this is what's in the index. Like you can actually literally download an Excel, which will tell you to the share, as in the quantity of shares they're holding. So to Adam's point, you know, if you're so keen, you can actually literally just go and replicate it yourself. Now, you'd be mad to do that because you've got all the trading costs and the hedging and so forth. But yeah. this is how transparent these products are. Mm. You know what you're getting. You look under the hood you can see everything. No way in the world you can do that with a managed fund. Yeah, that's a really good point. All right, let's check the uh, the first uh, five ETFs that are, are up today. We've got uh, the Morningstar Global Tech one. Um, a yes, was it a yes from both Andrew and Adam? You both prefer yeah. Asia or yep. Robo, but yes yep. on that. The uh, the Van Eck Wide Moat, da 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 uh, The Van Eck Vectors Morningstar Wide Moat ETF AUD. Um, a yes on that. Mm-hmm. Global, um, the global consumer staples from iShares, a no from Andrew, a yes from Adam. Uh, the uh, Van Eck uh, Vectors video game and eSport uh, ETF, both Andrew and Adam have it in their portfolio, so a yes on that. And the robotics and AI ETF, a yes from Andrew, Adam prefers, uh, prefers Robo on that. So um, we've got a few to go into the calls portfolio in terms of ETFs, which is great because it's all about building exposure around the place. So speaking of the portfolio, um, we any stock that or ETF that gets two thumbs up from the experts, uh, we take a look at um, and goes into the portfolio. Let's look at how it's doing. Um, terrible day yesterday on the markets. So for the last week, it's down 4%. Uh, for the month, it's up 5%, and since the 1st of July, it's up just under 14%. So uh, uh, some of the um, ETFs that have been that are in the portfolio at the moment, the Battery Tech and uh, Lithium ETF, uh, the Beta Shares, Asia Technology Tigers, and the, as I said, Van X, um, Morningstar Wide Moat uh, ETF is in there as well. Now, coming up in uh, the Startup Daily, no, um, on Ausbiz in the Pulse at 3.20 this afternoon, Shane Elliott, the Chief Executive of ANZ, will be joining us. Um, as uh, on the back of the lender's full year results, that's 3.20 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time this afternoon. All the movers and shakers here on Ausbiz. All right, let's get into uh, the next five ETFs. And... Um, we have Shiv. Adam wants a view on Vanex Vectors China New Economy Fund. Yes. A yes? Why? Yes. I like What's in it? it? Well, um, good question. No, uh, look, China, uh, this one has done fantastically since it started. It's been a really great performer. Um, it, it, it gets us access to China. It gets us access to um, that sort of growth that has happened. This thing started off at $5. It's currently closer to $10. Um, I really like it. It should be a staple in your portfolio. It's very hard to get access mm. to China as such in your portfolio. And, and you can get an index that will buy some sort of China yeah. uh, MSCI Global, whatever. But this one is is pure uh, a China uh, business and I really like it. So okay. yes, it's a yes from me. Andrew, what do you think? Uh, don't mind it. MER is probably a little high, but again, given the barriers to entry in dealing with China, it's certainly understandable. Uh, important to note that it's not a pure index and what I mean by that is it's an index that's constructed using growth at a reasonable price or GARP 
and it's looking at things like growth, value, profitability, and cash flow. So it's not just sort of buying the the Chinese stock exchange as such. You're buying an index which has been constructed on those parameters. Mm. I mean, they're not terrible parameters at all. They're great parameters. Yeah. And as Asim says, the return's been excellent. You know, 10% per annum since the index has been going up, 39% for the year, 20, 24% of it is in food, which you'd have to think is a critical part for any economy, never mind China. So I'm, I'm very relaxed having this in there. And it's another one of our thematic call, uh, sorry, satellite ones that we right. have in our portfolio. Okay. All right. Thank you, Shib. Tim wants a view, Andrew, on the beta shares commodities basket ETF. Now, uh, is that what the name implies, that it sort of invests directly in commodities or in miners? Uh, no, it doesn't invest in miners as such. Um, and, I, and I know we're starting to get a little bit pressed for time, but it's probably a very important thing we talk about um, is around physical versus synthetic. So pretty much everything that we've been talking about, these ETS are physically backed, as in, you know, the shares underpin it. Uh, in this particular inter index or uh, ETF, rather, what you're actually doing is you're actually buying futures contracts because you've got things oh. like ag, energy, industrial metals, livestock, precious metals, all important mm. stuff. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we'll talk about why in a second. But when you're buying synthetics, you are just adding another layer to Adam's point before another layer of complexity. Uh, and I have to say that sort of not I'm not talking about this product, but just when I'm dealing with synthetics and that sort of thing, I have a little amber light flashing. You know, it's yeah. probably not not one for me. Um, it's only got $10 million in fun. So, you know, we're talking about, you know, uh, company, uh, these ETFs having higher funds, the, the chance of um, longevity is better. I mean, it's been listed for nearly nine, 10 years. I'm certainly not suggesting for a moment that beta shares won't support it. But that's one thing that we look at. And the performance has been pretty ordinary over the last five years. It's down about 6%. But I think the reason it's up 7% for the last three months is because of inflation fears, because of all this money printing, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So if you were to do it, I'm a no, but if you were to do it, you're just taking a very short-term tactical view on inflation and using the things in the basket to, to try and capture that. Okay. Adam? So, yeah, look, it's a no from me. It hasn't even traded today. So right. there sort of gives you an indication of where the sort of the money is flowing. But really, they, they, the fund invests in around agriculture, which is fine. That's a more commodity basket. Energy, again, it's fine. Industrial metals, livestock, and then precious metals. So it, it does have that basket of commodities, which you like. But I'll, I'll, I'll go a little bit further where Andrew talks about I can't recommend something that has a synthetic product in there or an overlay of a derivative in there. And most ETFs have in the prospectus allowing them to have some kind of yeah. overlay on there. But if I've got an 80 year old lady client who wants to invest in something that's safe, yeah. how can I put my hand on my heart and say, um, yes, this is good for you because um, it invests in commodities, but the derivatives, the synthetics that go over yeah. the top, yeah. all of a sudden becomes way too high risk and totally out of her risk we, profile. Which, which gives you great leverage if they get it right. That's correct. But if they get it wrong, Absolutely. it just smashes the whole Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. So yeah, you got to be, you really got to look into these things. You okay. can't just sort of look at the label. Um, you need to look into it. And so it's a no from me. Right. Um, Adam, what about the uh, Charles wants of you on the Vanguard Australian Property Securities Index? Now, uh, this is not an active, this is a passive and mirrors an index, doesn't yep. it? Yep, and uh, look, it's, it's a yes from me. We use this one in our 
asset allocation we talked about. Yeah, this yeah. is our property one that we look at. Okay, oh, so this is okay. our asset allocation. It's the Australian Property Securities Index. So it does have uh, exposure to you know the centre groups of the world, which is the Westfields. It does have exposure to Goodman Group, it, vicinity centres. It's got it all in there as well. So all of the Australian diversified REITs are in there as well. But really, it, it does come down to that MER, and that MER is fantastic at a point, sort of 0.23%. Wow. So very, very cheap. And um, it, it replicates the ASX uh, 300 REIT index. So we use this as a way to get access to our property uh, for, uh, for a client. And okay. it's, yeah, it, yes, it's a yes. Okay, it's but, a if, but if you wouldn't be, if you're not buying interested in centre group or shopping centres because... Yep. They're going to be hit by the recession. Yeah. You wouldn't buy an ETF like you just wouldn't buy the ETF, would you? Uh, yes. I mean, on the it's overlay, the same sort yes. of decision making. It, it, then you look into the weighting of what they've got in the centre group. Now, centre group's obviously a large component of the ASX 300 REIT, right. so it will be a large component of that. And if that is your overall outlay, then you would say, no, I'm, I'm not going to invest in it. I might find another property. Or you just go and invest in Goodman Group because right. that's probably the best industrial one, yeah. uh, company out there. But for that widespread and diversification, right. okay. it sits well with me. Okay. Andrew? Uh, another one of our cores. Yeah. Core versus satellite. This is a core. Um, average company that it holds in its portfolio is $9 billion in size and Goodman makes up 26% of the index mm. that it's tracking. So we like industrial a lot. So really, you know, to your point around, well, you may not like retail, well, centre group's only 10%. Um, and retail and off, sorry, retail is only 23% of this ETF. So 75% is either diversified, commercial or industrial. Um, we like it a lot um, and are very comfortable having it in there. Um, thank you for that, Charles, for that suggestion. Now, uh, Ilya, Andrew wants a view on the BetaShares Active Australian Hybrids Funds. Now, yeah, this one's from an the interesting title, one. I'm wondering the, what the hell they invest in. It's an interesting one, Koshi, because it's actually a listed managed fund, oh. an active managed fund under sort of that exchange traded product banner, ETP banner. Right. as opposed to an ETF. It's a bit of a nuance. Right. It's managed by um, Coolabar, um, Chris Joyce, and uh, they manage about $3.8 billion. So BetaShares have basically said, mm. can you manage this? It's about $877 million. MER's not too bad. And to your point, it's investing in things like preference shares, capital notes, uh, and cash. It's up about 1.9% for the year, um, and it's up about 4% since inception. And if you have a look at what they're holding, it's principally just the four big banks, all their preference shares. Right. Um, so okay, if so, you're trying to pick... Sorry, question. Okay, so this is a defensive ETF, is it? Is that arguably, how you would see it? Yeah. We don't hold it, but arguably, because really what you're saying is... The easiest way to think of it, Koshi, you know, all those $100 notes that are out there, like, you know, Bendigo's doing one today, yeah. Bank of Queensland did one a couple of days ago, all those styles of things, that's what this is holding, right. it's simplistically. So if you think about the banks, and as you know, I love my banks, then, you know, is this something that I necessarily want exposure to, given all the pressures that banks are, are facing? 
Yep. But if you if you are bullish on the banks, you think that they're going to be okay and there's no more capital raisings and people are going to stop ghosting their banks and $274 billion loans are going to be repaid, sure, this might be one for you, not one for me. Okay. Adam? Uh, look, it's an interesting one. We do have it in uh, clients' portfolios. It does replicate that sort of cash index and, yep. and you know, it's not gonna it's not gonna shoot the lights out. The manager's very, very good. Chris Joy is very well vocal in the uh, the Australian market. He is quite a good manager. However, there is a performance fee that is overlaid on this. So it's about and it's a fifteen and a half percent performance above the benchmark sort of fee that sits mm. there as well. So oh, that's a fair bit. It is. It for, is for for a very conservative Correct. portfolio. Right. So again, you've got to look at these things uh, for for what they are. Um, they, they will be taking up these new issues like the Bendigo one that yep. we talked about or Andrew talked about today. That, that, they'll be taking that up. Um, I, think, I think it sits well in a client's portfolio for that defensiveness. It, it, it's not going to shoot the lights out. So it, it's a no for the portfolio because I, right. I think we, we need to, uh, as seeing last week's performance, I think we really need to uh, step up our game. But um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's certainly one that is, is good, but just that performance fee sort of... Yep. Sort of um, but yeah, it doesn't sit well with me. Yeah, okay. All right. Uh, now, George, uh, Adam wants a view on the beta shares, Australian strong bear, brackets, hedge fund, close brackets. Now, this is a fascinating one, yeah, isn't it? Good one to finish on, yeah. Because it's, it's not tracking an index or a sector. It's almost tracking your sentiment yes. in the market. Isn't yes, yes. And it generates a profit when the market goes down. Right. Okay. So there's other ones in the market. There's Bear. There's BBOZ. There's BBUS. Um, there's there's a few of these uh, products that basically uh, basically you look at shorting uh, the the Aussie market. Now you can see in February March it wow. went up when the rest of the market went down. Yeah. So it is a shorting tech uh, technique to use now. Most people don't have access to shorting because they one can't get the money, or two there's a lot of cost involved yep. with that. And so, a short shorting for those who have never yep. never done it is that you're you basically sell your shares before you buy them. That's right. But you need financing in between. Correct. You? And sort of margin money. That's right. And so that's where it becomes. So yeah, yeah. You, it's really complex. It is very complex. Well, it is complex because it basically means that you're selling stock that you don't have. Yep. And then you've got to buy it back at a lower price. So you buy low, sell high. So it's, yeah. it sort of flips it on its head. But this is a great way for investors to get access to that shorting tool uh, into the market. Now, you can see by that chart, it did quite well uh, through those hard times, but pretty yeah. much has gone when the market's been going higher, it's continuing to go low. Now, you can say that's a hedge against the market. So it's an insurance yep. if the market does fall. But the problem with this is it is not a one for one. So in other words, right. if the index falls by one point, it doesn't go up by one point. Does right. that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not a one for one. So you've got to be a little bit careful. So there Why? is, uh, it, it's called slippage. Right. And so there is that, there is a little bit of slippage inside of the market. And yeah, that's sort of what you've got to be careful yeah. of. And Andrew could probably talk about the MER because it's quite high as well. Mm. So. It is, it is something that you could use in your portfolio as a defense or insurance against market falls, yeah. but we've already seen the market fall. Do we think that the market's going to fall in the next six months to a year? Maybe, but probably not. So okay. I think this is something that you need to look for 
in another top end of the cycle. When the market's back at 7,000, the yeah. market's running hot, potentially that's when you start looking right. at these kinds of products. So I know. It's a no for me at the moment, yeah. And Andrew? I'm a no. Sorry, I sort of led with the lead there, didn't I? But a 1% move equates to a 2 to 2.6% move in this product. There you go. Right. So that's scary, Thank frankly, you. because if you get it wrong, you're in the world of hurt. I mean, if, if you're wanting to play the one-for-one one game, you'd probably buy Bear, B-E-A-R, which is about right. 0.9 to 1.1. But we, we, we don't recommend this. We don't use it. For all the, and look, Adam's okay. spot on. There's certainly plenty of things to like about it in the context of the hedge. Here's a really telling one. You know, if you think about sort of April when things started calming down, but you still had your tinfoil hat on, you thought the world was ending, and you bought some of this, you got it wrong because the index is up 16% over the time. This is down 35%. Right. So not only did you get it wrong, with due respect, but you've also also had that huge kick up the bottom where you're down 35% relative to the index being down, index being up 16%. Right. Since it's been listed, which has been around since April 2015, and most of those times have been pretty good for the market, it's down 16%. Right. So... But to Adam's point, okay. it really is sort of more of a tactical right. view. I think the market's yeah. at the top, otherwise... Okay, sort of we get lots of people here on the call. They all have varying views of what's happening. We have uh, some really positive experts on. Others who I think the most are in 80% in cash, 50% in cash, say the rebound's too much, it's not based on anything, Europe's going into another lockdown. So I, as an investor, go... Oh, geez, I'm pretty fully funded in the, in the market at the mm -hmm. moment. Is this my insurance policy if there's a massive crash? So mm -hmm. uh, a the hedge for is, me. Would you the short, no, forget yeah, the this particular one because it's so leveraged, but in uh, the bear fund, is it worth it just as a bit of a hedge to make, not make you feel better, that's stupid because it's bringing in the emotion, but you know what I mean? It's very binary cost you. Like there's no dividend, so yeah. you know you can't. You know sometimes when you buy a share, say you bought NAB at twenty-five dollars, you're still getting a dividend, albeit it's diminished, but you're still getting a dividend, and you just suck it up and you just wait yeah. for NAB to come good. Right. You know this is very binary. You're either right mm. or you're wrong. Right. And if you're okay. wrong, there's no dividend. So you've got yeah. to be very clear as to your view or conviction. Yep. Okay. Fascinating. Andrew. Um, Adam, should you and I take credit for this? Or no, we'll give it all to give Andrew. Give it Andrew, give it uh, Andrew. Great suggestion, um, having a, uh, a call special on ETFs. Great explanations. Yeah. Um, really appreciate you you're driving this. Thanks, Koshi. And thanks, Adam, for coming along as well. I, I, as I said, we've been getting lots of questions on it. So not even just from an educational point of view, I think it's been really worthwhile. So great. thanks yeah, for inviting yeah, yeah. me. Andrew, really great. Um, enjoy Toowoomba for the rest of the week. God's own Thanks, country. Gosh, looking forward to having you at the Empire soon. Yep, absolutely. Oh, what are you showing at the moment at the theatre? Uh, well, we've got uh, an ABBA um, special coming up soon, and of course, oh. Bluey's coming next year. Um, so, yeah, lots wow. of. Uh, That's all right. A, a for broad pe range of uh, shows. For people who aren't regulars, uh, Andrew is sort of uh, the unofficial mayor of Toowoomba and keeps yep. pushing out, and the Empire Theatre. 
is a gorgeous old theatre that's been done up and has great stuff and he's very passionate about it. Uh, Adam Dawes from Shaw Apartments, as always, great to have Thank you aboard. Thank you, absolutely. Uh, just to recap the uh, the final five ETFs, the uh, Vectors China New Economy, a yes from both Andrew and Adam, a no on the commodities basket, a yes on the Australian Property Securities ETF, a no on the Active Australian Hybrid ETF, and a no on the Australian Strong Bear ETFs. If you'd like to suggest any stocks for us to look at, uh, email the call at osbiz.com.au. A reminder where to find all the stocks in the calls portfolio. Head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And if you want to wrap up every day, 5.30 in the afternoon in your inbox of uh, what's been happening in the day on business, finance and markets, uh, the COB is where you get it. Um, Nadine and Scuddy put all that together. Subscribe at osbiz.co slash join.